Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that can allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over 50 million pounds worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this very special episode of Business Growth Secrets. You're with your host, Adam Stott. I've got an amazing guest on today who has had some massive, massive successes and created some amazing companies and is going to be sharing lots today. It's Dominic McGregor from Social Chain. Um, He was the COO and one of the co-founders of Social Chain, which went on to become a public company for a nine-figure business. He also has founded and created a new venture called Fearless um, Fearless, Fearless Ventures, we're going to have a chat about today, which is going to be really good. Looking forward to it, which really helps companies grow and invest in businesses. So welcome, Dominic. How are you doing, buddy? You good? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, fabulous. So look, really happy to have you on. Um, you've had some massive press and success around the company Social Chain, um, which you were one of the co-founders of. And what we want to really get across today is there's a lot of people that want to grow businesses, want to create that success. And lots of people are listening today that want to go on that journey. Um, you certainly come out the other side, taking that company public, creating great results and now investing businesses. But of course, there's going to be a story behind that. So why don't we go backwards a little bit? How did you first get into business? What was the start like? And what were some of the challenges that you faced at the beginning? Yeah, I think um, probably like a lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs, I kind of fell into business. So I never kind of was that kid at school selling sweets. That, that wasn't me. I wasn't a pure play entrepreneur. I never really wanted to go and I just did that roadmap, to be honest. But at university, I um, started a, a Twitter account called Student Problems, which is basically me just following my life at university, noticing some things that you kind of discover for the first time when you leave home, like how expensive cheese is, for example. You know, that was a big, big shock for me. And it just documented my rest of my life at university and the kind of things I was facing. And that quickly kind of blew up to 10,000 followers. And it was in the kind of early stage of social media back in 2013. You know, it's 10 years ago now that that, that started. And yeah, I, I just started to find myself having a kind of knack for running the social media account because, you know, I was, I just said to everyone, I'm, I'm like the average student. You know, my life is just very much middle of the lane. I experience most things people, other people experience. And it started started growing. So I just put an email address in the, in the the bio, expecting that I want to reach out just in case someone wants to get in touch with me. And uh, I got two emails: one from a guy in Birmingham, and another from a guy called Steve Bartlett. For some reason, I decided to email back the guy called Steve and just thought, look, you know, this guy said he's got an opportunity for me to make some money. I, I was I thinking, look, if I can make two hundred, three hundred quid a month from this, that's going to help me for university. It's going to be great for me. So um, I remember. I think it was the 1st of April. Um, my friend was like, actually, was like, well, Fool's Day. This guy rang me and said, look, you know, I want to meet you. you, you we tried to build a student community on Twitter. We've not done anything as close to what you've done. Um, do you want to meet? And I said, yeah, let's, let's meet. So I met this guy. He told me about his plans, which was this business 
called Wall Park, which is basically come tree for students. And, you know, for some bizarre reason, after meeting him once, I kind of decided, look, actually, this is an opportunity I can't say no to. I feel like I'm going to, something could happen here. And um, why not try it at 19 years old when you've got nothing to lose? So I decided to drop out of university, said that I'm going to uh, come work on this Wall Park thing. So uh, moved to Manchester, uh, got rid of every single commitment I ever had. And yes, yeah, started building more and more social media pages and um, got to the point where I had about 5 million followers across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and realised that, you know, we had a bit of powerhouse when it came to social media. Um, this was back in the early days, you know, Lad Balba, Unilad were starting to come to fruition. Um, and we were talking to brands around how to navigate social media and how to use it. And unfortunately, at that time, Warpack, the business failed. So we kind of wrapped that up and... Um, just decided that, you know, we've got these social media pages, let's try and make a living from it. And it, it was a point where we had no income and we had no option other than trying to make some money from these social media pages. And email, I remember emailing 300 people who were all got interested in the student space. And I think about three of them got back to us and three of them actually ended up working with us um, on, on these gold, silver, bronze packages. And yeah, that, that for us was the kind of start of, of social chain. And we came up with a name, which was a, a chain of social media pages. So that's where the, the kind of name came from and started speaking to more brands around how they, we could work with them on social media. Amazing story. I think that you've, you've fast forwarding through. But one thing that I really want to, which I think is really important for the entrepreneurs listening, is that the original venture failed. So why did it fail? And I think this is important because a lot of people get into quick, obviously develop some assets in terms of the social media pages. But what gave you the confidence through failure to sort of keep going? And what was the reason that it failed? What What did you see during that failure that helped you to get the success? Yeah, look, the idea was to create a student hub where people, students came for office discounts, accommodation, connecting with people. And we did loads and loads and loads of growth hacking to try and get people onto the platform. So we owned every single fresher group in 2013, 2014. We tried to get every single person going to the, you know, the core cities onto the, onto it, onto it. And we had no money. So everything we were trying to do was free. So we were literally just hacking away at what we could do. And social media obviously was a free place to play. So, um, what we started to realize is, you know, we tried the, the groups, we tried, sending truck tons of traffic there from our Facebook pages uh, and people weren't sticking, you know, people didn't want this. And what we've discovered is actually the groups we've built is where the conversation happens. And once you get to university, actually the conversation then moves off, off social onto like private messaging. So we, we had that world where, you know, WhatsApp was probably our biggest, com- when WhatsApp and got Facebook, your biggest competitors, you're probably playing in the wrong market. So um, <laughs> decided that, yeah, you know, we can't rate, we're not going to raise any more capital, capital for it, run out of money and um had to go back to the drawing board and as you said you know the social media pages we built during that period was that kind of growth hack that was kind of what we had done to to try and drive drive uh, people to it and i think that what kept us going was necessity look we you know we started this business we'd start to get a bit of accolades of being young entrepreneurs um the idea of quitting and failing and going back to university was a was a huge sense of uh, a driver to move you forward and try and find something else so you know, in my mind, I had a ticking time bomb of six months until September when I have to go back to university or I've got to try and make something work. So it, it had time, energy. I was young. I had confidence. And it was just about trying to find something to plug the gap of what we were doing then. And, you know, thankfully, social chain was born from that from those moments when we realized that we're going to have to figure out something. And that's what we figured out. And how hard was it in those early days? What was it? What was it like when you were running a business with no money? <laughs> Uh, look, you know, the, the beautiful part about it was that we also had no costs as people yeah. as well. You know, there's no mortgage, there's no kids. We're 19, 19 years old. So it's the most beautiful time in the world because 500 pounds is a lot of money. 
And that 500 pounds takes you a long way. So, you know, our expectations of what we were trying to achieve, you know, I remember I was getting 2,000 pounds in, in a deal, which was like a, a month deal. And we literally booked a flight to go to Thailand that day because it was like an un, unsurmountable amount of funds. We're like, this is incredible. We can go traveling. <laughs> you know, we'd never seen that amount of money. So I think our expectations were really, really low and our cost base was really, really low. So anything felt like an upside, you know, anything. 500 quid felt like a significant amount of money. And we were just working for my last step. So. like an adventure, right? You know, it sounds more like an adventure at that stage of building this. Exactly. You've got nothing but time, energy. You're 19 years old. You're doing something different. There is literally no, in my mind, there was no way we could fail because we were already at the bottom. And I think that's an important thing. It's like a beautiful time about being a student, being young, is you're at the bottom already. You're at the bottom. You're at the start. You, you can't, you cannot go backwards. There is no way to go backwards, you know. So whatever we did was always going to be moving us forward, which I think it was very, very comforting. And I think, you know, when your living costs are so low and you don't have any expenditure, life's easy. And it's really interesting that you, when it didn't go right, you actually realised what kind of leverage it did have and you had media leverage, right, in order to go and use that. Oh, to I loved, I loved, no, I, I love to say that was a conscious. It was, it, again, it, 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 this wasn't a master. <laughs> you know, let's, let's, you know, let's, unfortunately, let's not call it what it is. You know, we didn't sit there and say that, you know, Oh, we've got a huge media leverage, you know, let's, let's, let's build something that's just what's the media industry. It was a lot of the times it was necessity rather than actually a, a grand, a grand archetype. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the product needed to change by the sound of it. So how did you change the products up to start getting your first success in social chain? What was the moves you made to kind of, what was the first product that you launched? We went, oh my God, this is making us money. This works. Yeah. And how did you come across the product? It's, it sounds obvious now, but having millions of followers on, fa- on Facebook then wasn't wasn't value. You know, big brands weren't on Facebook then. So, like, you know, we say we could sit here and say, "Oh, that's incredible, incredible," and you guys put in a gap. But really, it, it it was blue water. There was no one was using it as as it's used now. Yeah. Influencers influencers didn't exist, so it was completely new. And um, I think our first success came when you know we were again we had tons of people with email, but one of the, one of the people we were speaking to was this guy who built an app called TippyTap, and he had no money to um, market you know i remember asking him for 800 quid he said no that's 500 quid he said no he said i've got no money he said both my parents, <laughs> he said both my parents had died i spent all my inheritance on building the app i have nothing left well like, okay well and i said to steve i said steve look this guy's got no money i like the app we've been playing it for the last couple of days we've been sat there and you, you know do not talk to me for an hour because you've been on the game let's just do a rev share and um see where we get to so we took a rev share on it and i had to to negotiate hard with Steve to try and get him to do that because, you know, we, 500 pounds for us again was a lot of money. So um, we, we wanted that, we needed to live. And um, then it came to actually launching it. And I said to Steve, I said, Steve, look, let's do something different. You know, let's tell people not to download it. Let's tell people not to go on it. Let's tell them it's going to ruin their degree, their life if they go on it. Again, Steve said no. And I was like, trust me, trust me, this is what's going to work. This is how you can build um, conversation around it and drive people to, to, to download it. And that was off the back of Flappy Birds. You know, I'd seen a couple of tweets around people saying how Flappy Birds is ruining my life. And I was like, this is actually the way people speak about these products. Let's integrate it into how people speak. And actually, let's not tell them to download it. Let's not tell, it, tell them it's an ad. Let's integrate it into conversation and see how it goes. So we did that. And all our pages started talking at once about this game called Tippy Tap. And it blew up. It got 2 million downloads. Went to number one on the App Store, both Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. Was featured on BBC the next morning as this viral sensation. Um, and most importantly, generated us hundreds and thousands of revenue, um, which for us was basically our seed funding to go and 
um, make this make this something. So we kind of realise now we've got okay. We actually this is probably when we start to be realising what we've got. We've got a case study. We can get too many downloads on an app. We've got money coming in. You know, we couldn't see it for ninety days because of that payment service. We've got money coming in, so we can kind of live. We can kind of think a little bit more what we're going to do. And uh, yeah, we've proven we can do something. So this let's let's see this as a start. And that was in uh, April 2020, 2013. So yeah, ten years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. When we kind of said, yeah, no, sorry, April 2014, so it was a year after dropping out of university. So, yeah, it was, it was um, yeah, nine years ago that we realised we could make turn us into something. That's awesome, right? So, so now you've got this rev share model. Is this something that you did frequently in the future? Was it still something that was just a, it just it was a one-off? It was a one-off because we realised that, that now we can actually demand a fee because we know what our work does. So it's a case of saying, look, you know, that moved us from getting 500 quid to actually now charging five, ten thousand pounds because it, it was in 2019, 2014 when there was an app for everything. You know, everyone was launching an app, money was going into apps. You know, literally was an app for everything. People were spinning the most off right and centre. So we said, look, you know, we're going to be people that can market people's apps. So we started to go around looking at people who were trying to reach students from an app perspective and said, look, we can help you get downloads. And that was kind of where we where we kind of were born from with that really early 2014 app market where people were trying to get their apps into students' hands and that's what we could do. So you re- really knew the target market you had or the audience you had and then you went out and found a product that's going to suit them. Brilliant. So yeah. how, did, how did that evolve? That was your first success and, and obviously you went on to, to taking this company public. What mm-hmm. other kind of what other ups and downs did you have along the journey of that particular company? Yeah, I think you got it right there. You know, we knew our audience. We knew what shoot people were trying to reach them. So we all we had to do was replicate the audiences and replicate the brands. So we built our audiences in gaming, beauty, fitness, food, fashion, as well as students, and then continued to find brands that would fit into those audiences. So that was the kind of the model. You know, if we had if we had the world's biggest food page, we can work with the world's biggest food brands. Simple as that, and that's what we did. So we went on acquisition spree, bought a number of assets into the company um, across gaming, as I said, game those sectors, and then went to go and find clients that were looking to reach them, and it kind of built us this kind of network of communities that we owned and operated as well as the validation that actually when social media evolved and it became about influencers and content strategies and paid social we could sit there and say well actually you know we are the experts when it comes to social media because of what we built so you know we built assets and we built communities before anyone else so when it came to brands wanting to navigate social media they came to us and our phone rang because they need they had no idea how to operate it so um yeah what what, you, what we kind of built there was you know two arms of business we built a media arm and an agency arm so we were helping brands access social media and we were then building our own community at the back of it and uh that's when we started to raise raise our next round of investment which took us in um from a private individual in germany that kind of took us on that trajectory of like okay, where is this business going um and we had this idea that you know look if we were to go public we'd be the first kind of social media based business to go public um so for us actually that was quite an attractive opportunity to actually accelerate our growth through MA, through internationalization through new products new services um and try and you know use that as a bit of a uh, um target to try and get ourselves on the on the public trading market before anyone else in the sector did so what did you know at that stage about MA? <laughs> what did you know about going public you know did you have mentors did you have guidance yeah. from other people our, our, our chairman was had done two IPOs before, so he kind of led us down that road. But what I kind of knew was very limited, and I think like most people at 2022 were very limited in their experience. <laughs> yeah. uh, what I understood was social media, and that's what we came back to, is that, look, you know, if we believe social media is going to be the next big thing, um, then there's going to be companies which play in that space, and, you know, that's going to come across all sectors. And as long as we can kind of stay at the forefront of what, what, what social media businesses are in terms of marketing and how to grow them, then we're always going to be valuable. 
Um, so that was kind of the thesis uh, of what we were trying to do. So our M&A was, you know, we knew about buying companies. We bought assets before from people. We brought people in with assets, but we never kind of completed a kind of large-scale structure, uh, M&A deal over a couple hundred grand. You know, our first deal, I think we did over that size of five million for a business in, a business in America, which we completed. So, yeah, you know, that was a learning curve. Some went wrong, some worked amazingly. And, yeah, you know, you, you learn a lot from those experiences. Absolutely. And when did you get a cha- chairman in? How early did that happen? Because it sounds like he was obviously um, instrumental in, in guiding yeah, some of this. He was an investor chairman, I don't know exactly whatever you want to call it. You know, nothing ever kind of was formalised, but he was kind of our lead investor. You know, I remember us raising $5 million for acquisition over dinner because we, he put our arm around and said, I trust you. So he really was behind us and really back us. So um, that was kind of 2015 when we kind of got him on, in, involved from an, uh, an investment standpoint and then it became us and him and a, and a genuine partnership. Awesome. And, and how did you know that you needed investors? Because this is something that entrepreneurs and business owners um, often struggle with and they don't actually go and make it happen, right? So some people might understand that they need that, but they don't make it happen. So it's quite yeah. unique. Yeah. You know, it's very unique think- in terms of, yeah, I think how we knew we needed investors. Look, we we, we wanted to get quick. You know, we wanted to, we we you know, uh, investment is a is an exchange equity for cash. That's what you're doing. You're selling some of your equity, you're diluting yourself in, in return for cash. You know, a lot of people need investment if their if their cash dependencies are greater than their cash generative abilities. So they need cash to, to manage the surplus. You know, tech businesses, for example, which have long term revenue, we didn't necessarily need cash um, a cash surplus because we were profitable from day one. So we'd do a deal and money would come in. Um, as we started to work with bigger clients, you know, we started to work with Coca-Cola, Amazon, those big boys. Contract values started to go up into the, to the millions and payment terms started to go up to 90 days. So if you operate from a margin of, of 40, 50%, you've got to pay out half a million before you see a million pound come in. So we had a lag, you know, we had cash flow issues. Um, but also from that, you know, we, we had ambitions to go to the US, which would require some level of investment. We had ambitions to go to, to Europe. So um, we made the decision to sacrifice equity at the time. Um, and, and that led us to raising capital, to go quicker, to expand, to, to kind of have that theory that look, if we're first and we're market leader, then, you know, we will, we will, we will win some, some capacity. And that was the thesis we went with. We could have done it organically, we could have done it naturally, but we've done it a lot slower. Yeah, absolutely. And was there ever a moment when this journey, I mean, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal story, phenomenal journey. And it is very unique, you know, it is very unique, especially at your age, you know, to, to be able to, to go and do that and make the right decisions. Because a lot of people don't make the right decisions, right? But was there, oh, was there some every- times where you feel like you... <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Was there some times where you made the wrong decisions? Were there some times where you feel like, was there a time where you thought, oh my God, this ain't going to work? Or you uh, know, what were your kind of squeak? Speaking about look, moments. <laughs> it's so it's so hard. You look back on now and say, look, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy how things played out. You know, there were opportunities to go left and right at a couple of points, and you know, maybe we chose left and we could have gone right. Um, God knows where that would have ended up and what the business would have looked like. But with that, those options were definitely on the table, and I think we explored some of those. And we there's probably one where I think maybe we could have explored it a bit further. But again, you know, that was that was just before the chairman put his arm around us and said, I'll, I'll give you five million to crack on. So you know. It, we, we we never had to worry. Cash flow was never a problem. We had support. We felt valued, and then we got an exit. So um, there probably was an eruption in the world where we went left, and life looked very different. So, but I'm not I'm not got no regrets. Yeah, no, absolutely. So eventually, you take this company public, and you go out and you you get a what was it a nine figure valuation, 
right? What did that feel like? Yeah, I think we had about 300 million when we went to the public. Um, it didn't feel any different. You know, it was no different than the, no different the day before. <laughs> it was yeah. no different than the day before. It's, it's, every day is the same. It's just one percent. It's not even one percent different. So, yeah, didn't feel like, didn't really didn't feel anything. Oh, that's cool. It's, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people feel like there's some pinnacle moment. But what you actually see with most entrepreneurs is it's more the progressiveness of just keep moving forward. You know, in terms yeah. of um, you, when did you, have you personally completely exited that, that company now? Are you still involved or? Completely gone. Completely gone. Okay. And uh, you've started your new venture now. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about how that helps? It'd be, you know, it'd be really interesting to to hear you know, what your your model is and, and how you help people yeah. with this. Uh, so you can imagine life in agencies. Now, I know I'm test agencies. I don't like marketing agencies. That's all I think. I think they're fundamentally unneeded in, in industry. Um, so, yeah, we, we had a great success working with big clients like Coca-Cola and Amazon, as I mentioned before. But we never managed to work with genuine wide call fast growth companies, you know, like Jim Shack, Huels, businesses like that, which are like scaling rapidly. And I'm much more focused on ROI, much more focused on in-housing, much more focused on actually, you know, they want to be at the forefront of what's possible, not not work with an agency who can sometimes slow people down. So I asked myself the question is, how do you work with those fast-growth companies? And ultimately, you know, they are raising capital. They need capital. All they've got capital requirements where they could do things quicker if they had that. So I wanted to combine that opportunity of deploying capital and giving services. Based on the world of investment, you know, everyone in the VC world talks about value-add, but really they don't actually do anything you know they just give a couple of chairman introductions that you know it's value add so for me it was about actually you know mirroring up that cash with the capability to be able to execute against it um so what we do is we invest in businesses and actually then help them provide services so it's like having an agency of clients that never leave you and businesses that you own so um yeah you get a great alignment with the founders you know you get actually what long-term ability to look at things you get to actually genuine understanding and mining a product and how to be profitable and how to scale and get involved in all the international conversations, the new product ranges, the M&A opportunities within those entities. And what we do is um, we advise and help them um, every single day. Our mission is to wake up and help them um, be better. Which is um, strange when you talk about value add and, and people not adding value, because I, I suppose what this also does by giving a value add is protect your investment, basically. So if you make an yeah. investment and then you invest in, you know, so it makes complete sense, right? So yeah, we know some of the wrong with other businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like a really smart move. And also it's an attractive uh, choice, isn't it? It's going to help you to get the better deals, presumably, because you're going to bring something that somebody else won't bring. So in terms of the companies that you're helping now, there have been some some companies that you're excited about, some things that you've, you know, you've seen. Yeah, and... yeah. Um, by the time this goes live, we'll have done our latest investment, which is a company called Faldis, which is a female football retailer. Um, got a contract with Nike, Adidas, Puma. Um, so ahead of the World Cup this year, it's going to be you know one of our big assets, which is going to fly. Um, we've got a company called Pets Purist, which is doing over a million pound EBITDA, which is looking for um, opportunities to exit in the next 12 months. And we've got a really, really super fast growth company called Minimal, based in Skipton and Leeds, which is home cleaning products is um, based on a closed loop system, which again is flying. So yeah, we've got really great companies in the portfolio, really exciting opportunities and yeah, loads of good stuff happening. So, so how many companies have you now invested in since you've been going? Have you uh, had many? Seven. 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 
already made yeah. seven investments, which is awesome, right? Okay, amazing. And and you see how many do you how many do you turn down? How many do you look to actually what is it, one in twenty, one in fifty that you actually do a deal with? Yeah, I think we've had about fourteen hundred inquiries, so you know, not point not five percent rate or whatever that works out as. Not many. You know, a lot of businesses need what we have and this is one of the problems is that we try to build something which is more open to every business. However, we realize it's more limiting. So our kind of scale now is how do we actually support eight out of 10 businesses that, that we speak to um, in a meaningful way. What what makes you the 1%? So in terms of you investing, what do you uh, want to see? I look, it's, 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 it's definitely not that we've not picked the best seven. You know, the best, we haven't the best businesses because the best businesses need more cash than us. They've got a diverse investor base they're not right for us. So it's not been a case that, you know, we are working with the, the best. So there's the businesses which fit our model. Um, and that's what we're looking for. You know, though necessarily the, the rejections aren't based on anything, then of them not being right for us. You know, these things could be a marriage and we could have invested in half those companies and I've been like, yeah, that's actually a good business. It's going to work. Um, but we're very specific in what we look for. You know, we, we don't want to be around other shareholders because they, they can get a little bit touchy with our terms and our operational involvement. So we want to be the first people in. Um, which then limits the numbers straight away. We're looking for businesses which are cash flow positive, which limits the businesses again. We're looking for businesses which are northern based, given the fact that our actual team is based here. So actually that allows for better integration because we've got people in the office from each of companies who sit there and work with our teams, which also limits the opportunity. So yeah, it's, it's not a case about people being in that top percentile and ultimately high performers. It's about a, a relationship and that's got to work for both parties. So that's what we're looking for rather than, you know, the best of the best, because the best of the best, we've, we've seen some of the best of the best and look, we'd love to invest in it, but the relationship wouldn't be, wouldn't, wouldn't be right for them. It's not right for us. No, which is really, really good to, from an investment standpoint, you only want the clients and the companies that are going to be the right fit and that you can serve, which is awesome. From a client perspective and the people watching the podcast, if they were to come to you for an investment or anyone for an investment, let's say, because many of them wouldn't be the right fit. Many of them wouldn't be cash flow positive, perhaps. Many of them wouldn't be northern based, you know, perhaps. But what do you think from being somebody that is now a professional investor? What do they need to prepare? What do you like to see just to try and help some of the people that are listening if they were looking to raise investment? Yeah, I think the last question, the last question kind of answered that a little bit is that, you know, these things are two way. So you've got investors who invest in certain areas. You've got investors don't invest in areas you know you, what you want to do is you want to speak to people who are relevant for you you know if someone came to me with a property tech business it's not right for me because i want no idea of property tech so you know yeah. i think that's the key thing is you know these things aren't the right some, <laughs> yeah. yes someone told me like look there's, there's you know i remember i was 22 and people said oh it's actually people's jobs to find companies to invest in so like the people are out there looking for them and you've got to do a little bit of research obviously to find those people but you know having an alignment with people who are from your industry who are looking to redeploy into areas they know it's the smartest thing to do. So that's what I'd say is that, you know, if you, if you think you're the right fit for someone um, and, they've, and they're the right fit for you, then you've got a much more likely chance of, of doing it. You know, great. The great, again, I know it's property, but property investors invest in property because they understand it and it's easy for them. So make it as possible for investors to invest in areas that you understand. Don't try and make them, teach them something new because necessarily new is scary and unknown. Yeah, we're not we're not we're not all sat there, you know, reading web free crypto blogs every single day, you know, trying to understand the details of DeFi and that kind of stuff. So you've got to make sure you're speaking to relevant people and make sure that, that they're, yeah, they're interested in what you've got to say.
which is really important because I think a lot of people are just so desperate for investment they can go and get in the wrong bed. All right. Yeah. But really, they should for the, for the right people. Yeah. 100%. Our, our German chairman, his background with media companies, you know, he understood what we did. He's a media media guy. Made sense. Yeah. So so a good fit. So now looking back, uh, Dominic, having had social change, what was your? How many founders were there? Was you, Stephen? Was there other founders involved as no, well? No, just me and Steve. And Steve. And what's your relationship like now? Good? You have a good relationship? Yeah, yeah. He's um yeah. going to be best on my wedding, so uh, nice. so you come through that journey and still have a great, you know, fantastic relationship as well, which is awesome, isn't it? Really good. Mm-hmm. Um so what would you say in terms of partnerships? What's important for you in terms of picking a partnership? It's relationships. You have- relationships, you know, you've got to be you've got to have each other's backs. You've got to be complimentary to each other, you've got to have you know, your own opinions and understand how to communicate with each other. You know, relationships are communication-based, you know, um, friendships, parents, fiancés, whatever you want to say, they're all based on communication. And if you don't have, you know, transparent, safe communication in situations, then you're not going to thrive. So um, that comes down to everything in terms of what is your ambition today and what is your ambition for tomorrow and what is your ambition for the future. And if you can align with someone on those, what the plans are, then you will... Um, you will be in a much better position. Yes, during those periods, there's, there's growth where people experience growth faster than others and people have periods where they are absolutely on fire or flying and people have problems with time and struggling. And that's like any relationship that you've got to be there to be able to support them um, and not get, you know, turn on them. So I think that's a really important thing to, to understand is that any 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 business founder or business partner it is a relationship and those relationships do require work they require honest communication and they are and they require you know alignment in terms of where you are heading brilliant well look you know it's been a fantastic podcast so much interesting uh concepts that you shared where can people get in touch with you dominic if somebody wants uh, to reach out to you LinkedIn. linkedin's probably easier someone every single day like most people so yeah i'm on linkedin i'll get back to you Absolutely. So go and uh, go and communicate with Dominic. Tell him you enjoyed the podcast. And of course, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, which you should have, it's been really, really interesting. Some you know great concepts have been shared there. Uh, make sure that you subscribe. And if you can take just a moment to move your finger and lift, leave us a five star review, that'd be much appreciated. Thank you again, Dominic, for coming on. Um, they can go and reach you on LinkedIn. And um, what's also the website that you um, for your um, investment fund? Just yeah, uh, fe- so fearlessadventures.co.uk fearlessadventures.co.uk thanks again Dominic you've been an amazing guest no, you know how these companies growing right and, and yeah. there's an exorcist coming thanks again thanks a lot hi everybody Adam here and I hope you loved today's episode hope you thought it was fabulous and if you did I'd like to ask you a small favour could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review of course I'll be super grateful if that is a five star review we're putting our all into this podcast for you delivering you the content giving you the secrets and if you've enjoyed it please go and give us a review and talk about what your favourite episode is perhaps every single month I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive academy days and have lunch with me on the day meeting hundreds of my clients so if you want that to be you then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on itunes please of course do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes peace and love and i'll see you very very soon thank you